Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm along with 6, 32, 38, uh, 102, 130, and 143. It is the most well-known of that bunch, and in fact, it may be the most well-known of any kind of psalm, except perhaps for Psalm 23. Luther said that it was the psalm sung and read most frequently in the churches of the Reformation. It was also very popular during the Middle Ages. In the Benedictine order, for example, monks would recite the entire Psalter over the course of the week, but Psalm 51 would be recited every day. The ascription tells us that it is a Psalm of David and that he composed it after Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, meaning that this is the Psalm David wrote as he was recovering from the greatest moral, and spiritual disaster of his life. And that's why it is often called the sinner's guide. David was a great sinner, but thanks be to God, he was also a great repenter. And therefore, there is much that we can learn from his example. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Just as David's journey into sin serves as a great warning, so too his journey out of sin is filled with useful lessons for us today. The first thing we learn from this psalm, I think, is that real repentance means agreeing with God as to who we are and what we have done. In the first five verses of the psalm, David uses just about every possible word for sin in the Hebrew language. He doesn't attempt to minimize or justify what he has done. In verse 1, he uses the word pesha, which is translated in your Bible probably as transgressions. It means literally to rebel against authority, either human or divine. David admits that he is a rebel. David admits that he has crossed a number of lines, lines that God had drawn in order to do the wicked things that he did. Think of all the commandments that David had to break in order to do what he did with Bathsheba. He broke the... Tenth commandment, first, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, Exodus 20, verse 17. And then he broke the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery, Exodus 20, verse 14. In breaking the seventh, he also broke the eighth 
you shall not steal, Exodus 20, 15. You remember Nathan, the prophet, actually came to him and told him that story about a guy who stole another guy's sheep, and David is so upset, right? You shouldn't steal things. And then Nathan says to David, you are the man. You're the stealer. You're the thief. And then to cover it all up, of course, he had to break two more commandments. He had to break the sixth, you shall not murder, Exodus 20, verse 13. And then he broke the ninth, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus 20, verse 16. That's a lot of transgression. That's a lot of rebellion. But thanks be to God, he owned it. He said, I am a rebel. I crossed those lines. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And he wasn't done there. In, in verse 2, he used the Hebrew word aeon, which is translated probably in your Bible as iniquity. It means guilt. And by using that word, David acknowledged that he deserved punishment. I did it, David says, and I deserve whatever unpleasant consequences I will experience. I'm not a victim here. I am a perpetrator. The system didn't do it. My parents didn't do it. My environment didn't do it. I did it. And I deserve to face the whole wrath of God. That's what David says. In verse 2, he also uses the Hebrew word kata'ah, which is translated in some of your Bibles as sin or sometimes as evil. David says, I am evil. I did evil things. Are you hearing that? David uses grown-up Bible words to describe his own sin. Hear what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I made a mistake. No, no, no. no. Putting two cups of sugar into your muffin mix instead of one is a mistake. Raping your neighbor and killing her husband is evil. And David owns it. He tells God the truth about who he is and what he has done. And then he begs for mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. On the basis of what you have promised, David says, the word steadfast love, or it's one word, but it's translated into two English words. It, it, it refers to covenant love. God, David says, you promised to pay the price for our covenant failures. You promised that back in Genesis 15. I'm claiming that now in Psalm 51. Be merciful to me on the basis of your covenant promises. Verse 6 goes on to say, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David says, I, I have not acted with truthfulness. I have not acted with integrity as I should have done. I have not been as you wanted me to be. Oh, God, change my heart. Put better thoughts in there. Put better desires in there. That's a really good prayer. And he follows it up with some more good repenting. The reference to hyssop there is a clear reference to the Passover, the original Passover. In Exodus 12, Moses told the people, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop are like uh, stalks, uh, like almost like a stalk of pussy willows. And so it says, take a, a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning 
For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Exodus 12, 21 to 23. So the people were spared the wrath of God because they hid themselves under the blood of the Lamb. Okay, that's the gospel, my friends, Old Testament and New. David confesses his sin and then pleads the blood of the Lamb. That's good repenting. That's a pattern for us to follow. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's sin affected David's body. You see that in in verse 8. Sin steals our energy, vigor, and vitality. God has a settled antagonism towards sin. And and that is why sinners instinctively hide from God. When you sin, it's, it's like you've swallowed a bag of iron filings and now you flee from the reverse magnetism of God's unchanging holiness. That is what David is describing here. Oh God, look away, hide your face and blot out my sins. Extract this offense from my flesh and cast it into the sea so that we can be at peace again. And then make it so that I will never do anything like this again. Give me a clean heart and a willing spirit. Change what I desire, God. That's where you have to get to, right? A clean slate is not enough. David needs a complete rebuild here, and he knows it. He uses the Hebrew word bara in verse 10, translated as create, as in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. David is saying here, I need to be rebuilt from the ground up. If I am capable of doing the things I have done, I don't need counseling. I need recreation. W.S. Plumer says here, its use, referring to the word bara, its use shows that David was not asking to have his nature improved, but renewed, not amended, but created anew, closed quote. That is what you have to pursue and pray for and seek after and beg God to grant you if you want to recover from a major moral and spiritual failure. Because what we do tells the truth about who we are, right? I mean, you don't get that when you listen to celebrities repent or confess or whatever it is they call it when they do their mea culpas on TV. They always say, this isn't who I am, right? I made a bad decision, but this isn't who I am. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that what you do tells the truth about who you are. And David's actions have convinced him that he needs to be born again. He needs to be remade and and retaught and reconstructed from the ground up and from the heart out. That is the sort of self-honesty that characterizes real repentance. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. I think the sequence is important here. David says, create in me a clean heart, rebuild me from the ground up, give me a new and willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. 
David knew that he, he had to have his own feet on solid ground before he tried to rescue and instruct other sinners. There is wisdom in that. A Christian counselor friend of mine has a saying that I like. He says, hurt people hurt people. There's truth in that. There's wisdom in that, and David seems to know it. He knows that after his recovery, when he has been lifted up out of the muck, once his feet are on the solid ground, then he will have a story to tell. As Matthew Henry says, penitents should be preachers. I think that is true. I think that many people who become preachers become preachers because they have tasted the goodness and power of God in rescuing them from the penalty of sin. But then also, I would even say maybe more than that, the power of sin, right? You, you understand that's how salvation works, right? That when we're saved, we're saved immediately from the penalty of sin, progressively from the power of sin, and then one day, thanks be to God, ultimately even from the presence of sin, And it's the experience of that that makes people want to speak about that. They can't not speak about that to others. Thanks be to God. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. There were, of course, no sacrifices provided in the Old Testament law for adultery, rape, and murder, the sorts of things David had done in this story. And therefore, all he could do, all he could offer God, was a broken and contrite heart. And the good news is that's what God wanted, a broken and contrite heart, a heart that knows its sin and its need for mercy. That is a heart that God can work with. That is a heart positioned to receive. That's where you want to get to, and that's where you want to stay. David said in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's the same word used in Psalm 51, 17, translated there as contrite, crushed, contrite, same Hebrew word. David literally says, a broken and crushed heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. See, this became David's sweet spot. This this is the place he learned to love. He spoke about it in Psalm 119. He said, uh, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. David says, It's good that my pride was crushed. It's good that I made a fool of myself. It's good that I was laid low, because now I'm ready to walk closely with the Lord. Now I'm ready to do things his way. Now I'm ready to take his word at face value. Now I'm, I'm ready to let him lead the way. That, my friends, is the place of salvation. That's where the Lord meets us. And that's where the Lord keeps us. Verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David recognizes that by his sin, he has weakened the cause of religion. And now he prays against that. See, David's sin weakened the defense of Jerusalem, so to speak. Would that every leader in God's kingdom understood the same. When pastors and elders sin, particularly when they sin publicly as David did, then the cause of God's people suffers violence and rebuke. David, in his tenderness here before the Lord is praying that his sin would not result in hurt and harm to God's 
people. That's a good prayer for David, for leaders, for every one of us. We are not islands. Our sin comes at a cost to us, to our children, to our church, and most importantly to God, whose name is blasphemed among the nations because of us. Oh God, David says, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Help us to worship and serve you as we should. That's good praying, and that's good repenting, and that's a very useful guide for sinners. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.